0: Well, welcome.
1: Hope everybody is having a wonderful week as we head into the last week of February. God, hard to believe we are already going into the we're already into the second half of the first quarter. We hope everyone's having a great year so far. Again, for those that are still not finalized their objectives and primary targets for this year in your business, again, it's never too late. Uh, feel free to reach out to us here at, at Sustainable Success at Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Let's take a look at that and see how we can help you break down those goals down further, helping you to really move into Q2 and have a banner year for 2022. Uh, again, our show is being brought to you today by Alumni Direct. They're a new social media community platform dedicated to bringing together alumni, an opportunity to rekindle old relationships and people that you haven't talked to in, the, in a while. Also an opportunity to meet new people, people perhaps that went to your school at a later time, and you know a different generation type. But this is a great way to develop authentic, genuine relationships on your time. No social media notifications, taking out all the noise out of that, allowing you to come in on your time to generate authentic, genuine relationships. It also offers an affinity membership program, uh, which offers a wide variety of different services uh, available to you as a business owner, or someone looking to get into your business, things that you would normally not find or be available on your own. Check it out at alumnidirect.com. That's alumnidirect.com. If you are new to Sustainable Success, again, we are glad that you found us here at the Voice America Influencers Channel. We also encourage you to follow us on our Facebook page at Sustainable Success 2017. There we've had many of our great guests share their words and wisdoms and insights helping to move your business and your personal success to the next level. We would love to have you be part of that, engaging, providing comments, because it's your feedback and your engagement that really helps us to keep, continue to bring in guests to help move your business and personal success to the next level. Well, we have a great show for you today. As, as everybody knows that has been uh, listening and following Sustainable Success now for the last almost five and a half years here, that we, we love leadership. And so what we're going to talk about today is, again, uh, you know, how leaders can leverage the power of visual thinking. So think about that, visual. So we're really going to hone into that. And we brought in a, a top expert in this area. This is an individual that you know, is right in my own backyard, and I love what he does, and he's going to be sharing a lot of valuable insights here. And before I bring Todd Churches on, I'm going to give you a little background about Todd. He is the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball, an innovative New York City-based leadership development and executive coaching firm. He's a member of Marshall Goldsmith's MG100 Coaches. Todd is a three-time award-winning adjunct professor of leadership at NYU and a lecturer on leadership at Columbia University. He is also a TEDx speaker. His talk is called The Power of Visual Thinking, and he is the author of the groundbreaking book, Visual Leadership, And that again is with one L. So you're going to get, you're going to be learning where you can get your hands on that later. So visual leadership, leveraging the power of visual thinking in leadership and life. It was published in 2020 by Post Hill Press, Simon and Schuster. And without further ado, we welcome Todd Churches to the show. Todd, how are you doing today?
2: Chris, great being with you. It's a uh, a long time coming. I think we were talking about it like a year ago. Yes. Um, and you said, oh, you know, click here to sign up for a, you know for a date, and it was like a one year wait. So it was uh, well worth <laughs> waiting for. But I'm a big fan of your show. I listen to it all the time. So it's great being here with you.
1: Uh, we are so happy to have you here. And you know, we really want to dive into you know this whole concept of visual thinking. You know, leadership is so imperative in just about everything we do in our life. You know, in our business and So if you could share some insights, what like what what would visual thinking do and how would that be really apply in a leadership way?
2: Sure. Well, visual thinking um, is about thinking in pictures as opposed to words and numbers. So as we're talking about leadership, we're talking about small l leadership, as in we're all leaders, like one of the things I do with my NYU students. On the first class, I say, oh, just for curiosity, show of hands, how many people here are are leaders? Raise your hand. And hardly anyone raises their hand. And then what I say is by the end of tonight's session, you're all going to be raising your hand because we're going (laughs) to redefine what leadership means. So there's like two camps. One camp of leadership is you're only a leader if you have a leadership title, if you're a CEO or VP or something. But I fall into the small leadership category of even if you're just leading your own life, you're a leader. Right. It doesn't have to do with direct reports. So it's about being a leader in such a way that you use your visual thinking powers to turn your visions, your pictures in your head into reality. So that's the foundation of what visual thinking and visual leadership is all about.
1: Wow, I love that. And, and, and so, so Todd, when you talk about images, like you think in images, visual images, mm-hmm. what are some things that you would like recommend to leaders? Is this something like that? They not only do this while they're in their role and duties, you know, in whatever that may be, if they work for somebody or if they run their own business, but also doing these things, maybe even in their personal lives as a, as a spouse, as a parent, as a member in their community and so on.
2: Yeah. I mean, as people, we are wired visually, right? If you wake up in the morning and you have a dream, you have a picture in your head right? If you picture, oh, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to have for breakfast? How is my day going to unfold? You're using visual thinking. To, so you can look back in the past, almost as if you're watching a mental home movie, right? If you reflect back on prior experiences, you're thinking visually. If you have a picture in your head of an idealized future state that's different from and better than the current reality, you're using visual thinking. So we already. the good thing about this is you're already doing this. We're already doing this, but as you focus on visual leadership and being a more visual leader, then you can do it with greater intention, purpose, and success. So those are some of the keys. So just as a real-life example, Martin Luther King's classic "I Have a Dream" speech, right? He didn't yeah. say, "I have a 500-page business plan. I have an Excel spreadsheet with all the numbers that I'm going to," you know, right? He painted a picture of a better future. That's what we're trying to do as leaders. And in terms of the the, the word visual leadership, it's a patented, um, trademarked. Word, the US Patent Office rejected it the first two times. They finally approved it. And as spelled with a single shared capital L, visual leadership is one word. The meaning behind it is that who you are and how you lead is inseparable from the lens through which you see the world. So your background, your upbringing, your culture, your life experiences all shape what you see and how you see it, but also what you miss and what you don't see. So that's the backward looking part of visual leadership. And the forward looking is we always talk about having a leadership vision or being a visionary leader. That's about looking forward. So it really is about past, present and future is the foundation of visual leadership and applying visual thinking and visual communication techniques to make that vision a reality.
1: Wow, can you go into a little bit more about that flow because I love the fact that you said okay, it's based upon the past, some of the things that you know we grew up with and maybe the values we operate from and you know some of the experiences because this shapes our our experience. And then obviously now into the moment, and then, and then how do we take that and now begin to build something that's going to be really beneficial and productive going into the future? If you could talk about that flow, maybe, to, you know, for some of the leaders that might be saying, hey, I like this, but I just got to know how to connect the dots here.
2: Yeah, you're so right. It is about the how, because this is not academic, theoretical or, or hypothetical. This is real. Like So this is so, for example, let's say you are on a job interview or you're meeting with a client and they say. Uh, and you're pitching your services and they say, well, tell me how will this benefit me? Or, t- you know, you might say, all right, let me tell you about a time I, I worked with a client who is very similar to the situation you're in and what we did, what we learned and how I can help you. You're painting a picture with words. You're telling a story, right? Sometimes we have PowerPoint slides. Sometimes we have a pitch deck or, or a handout. But a lot of times we use, need to use visual communication to get an idea out of your head and into someone else's to help them see what you're saying. And that's one of my my mantras is how do you get people to see what you're saying? How do you get an image, a picture, an idea, a story out of your head and into someone else's? Um, And I was an English literature major as an undergrad. So uh, uh, in Hamlet, Shakespeare had Hamlet say, "Um, I think I see my father, the ghost of my father in my mind's eye. So what does it mean to see something in your mind's eye? Because Hamlet didn't know if it was a figment of his imagination or a real ghost, right? An apparition. So what does it mean if you have a picture in your mind's eye? And how do you get that picture out of your head and into others? That's what visual leadership is all about. And, and I could go into the different categories in just a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to like lay the foundation of what we're talking about here in terms of having a vision, in terms of communicating that vision, that picture of a future that doesn't yet exist And how can you get other people on board with that vision to make that vision a reality?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, and, you know, there are a lot of great visionaries out there, you know, you know, in terms of leadership. And and now it comes down to how do they, how can now can they communicate that and lead by example to help the people that are you know going to be part of that to make that vision a reality? If you'd like to go into that and break things down, like you said, what you mentioned, the categories.
2: Sure. Well, when we talk about visual leaders, we, we very often think about the Jeff Bezos or the the, the um, you know Elon Musk or, or Branson or, or people who are changing the world and flying out into space. But we're all visionary leaders, even in our, in our own lives. Right. And um, I always use the quote from Bernard Baruch, who said that the ability to express an idea is as important as the idea itself. So if you can't so often leaders where they struggle is they have a picture in their head, but they just can't communicate it well. They can't. Mm inspire other people. Um, So one of the ways to do this is using the, I break it down to four categories that are not mutually exclusive, but overlapping. So I'm gonna give you the four categories now, and this is how my book breaks out in my book, Visual Leadership. Category one is using pictures, visual imagery and or drawing. Category two is using mental models and frameworks. Category three is using metaphor and analogy. And category four is using storytelling with bonus points for humor if and when appropriate. So those are the four categories. So if I go through each one just very briefly, the first one, visual imagery. You know, we all know this saying a picture is worth a thousand words. So why is that? Because you take it in through your eye. If You you can explain to someone, for example, um, I can explain how to get from my house to your house. But if I email you a map or you look it up on Google Maps, you see it, right? It's like, oh, now I see where you live. I know which direction I'm going. I'm, a, I'm recently new newly moved to Connecticut. I'm a native New Yorker, as you can probably tell by how fast I talk and my accent. But um, I still can't find my way around Connecticut. Even if I go to you know, Panera or go to the bank, I still have to get on my GPS because I have no mental map. we we are living now in the house my wife grew up in. So she knows this area like the back of her hand. So, um, and that's a metaphor, by the way, the back of her hand. But for me, I can't even go two blocks without a GPS. Why? Because I don't have a picture of the layout. I don't know which way is the beach or which way is the, the, the highway. So that's an example of if you use a mental map, which is a framework, and you picture it in your mind's eye as an image, then it's like, oh, okay, I see what I'm saying. I see where I'm going, right? So that's just one example of using a map um, or a picture a diagram and it could be a PowerPoint slide but it could also be a prop you can hold something up and you know that's the basis of um, infomercials right you know it yeah. dices it slices it could, you know all of these things you're showing people so people can say oh I see what you're talking about now right so for example would you link in with someone on LinkedIn who didn't have a headshot if you didn't know them right just a name if would you buy something on eBay or Amazon if there was no picture just a description of the item. Would you read a blog yeah. post? So you're more likely to read a blog post if it has an image or if it doesn't. So pictures just draw us. That's the way our brains are wired. And I break it down to three ways, attention, comprehension, and retention. I talk about this in my TED talk. When you use visual imagery of visual language, it captures people's attention, gets them to focus, creates understanding and comprehension, and helps them to remember that's the retention. So that's just a, a mini class on um, what visual leadership is all about.
1: Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And what do you see? Like, I mean, you, you what uh, types of organization? I know you do a lot of work uh, in this at Columbia and you get, and you, you know, you got a lot of people. What are some of the, what are some of the types of people that you see that are really, you know, see this and really are taking this
2: to a whole new level, you know, and yeah, it's really everyone. It's, it's you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't draw. They suffer from ICD syndrome. <laughs> I can't draw syndrome. So but if you could play Pictionary, you could draw. If you could use hand gestures or, or, and play charades, then you, you could communicate visually, right? So I try to eliminate that I can't from people's vocabulary. So I once did, like, just for example, I did a workshop on leadership storytelling, visual storytelling for CEOs. I had 20 CEOs. And one CEO said, I'm going to hate this. And this is, I'm a terrible storyteller. And I said, well, why do you say that? They went on to tell this amazing story about the time he once told a story that bombed, right? So he labeled himself as a bad storyteller. But everyone was like, "Well, wow, it was such an incredible story. I learned so much from it. And so, so here this guy put this constraint on himself and labeled himself as a bad storyteller. And he was an amazing storyteller, right? So similarly, whether it's I Can't Draw, um, or I can't tell a story. We need to do this as leaders. If we want to get our ideas out there. And one of my articles in Inc magazine is called, can you draw what your company does? And it's based on an exercise I do with, with people where I say, if you had to get up at a flip chart, a whiteboard, or do a napkin sketch and illustrate what it is that your company does and how it's different from or better than the competition, how would you do that? How would you paint a picture? Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is people are resistant to this. Like they're, they're, scared to draw because they're worried about their skills. But when they say it's not a test of your drawing abilities, it's a test of your ability to think visually, translate that picture into some image, and then use that to explain. So when you ask a group of kids how, how many of you can draw, they all raise their hand. You ask a group of business professionals, very few do, right? So part of it is, again, eliminating that. If you could draw a straight line, a square, a box, a circle, a triangle, you could draw a process map, a mind map, a storyboard, or some people... What's funny is people say, Oh, I don't want to do this. And next thing, they're saying, Can we have more time? We can they have more different colored markers. So this is so fun. So, um, that's very common once people start to illustrate uh ideas to get them out there into the world.
1: No, I agree. It's funny that when you said, I remember doing a, I, I, I remember I was at an event uh last year and it was one of those panel groups where it was kind of like a, like a, like a, an ignite session. We had to do this like in a, in a very short period of time, we had five people and it was like in succession we had to go through this topic literally like in 7 8 minutes mm-hmm. i mean it was it was that quick yeah and and we had to use slides but what you just said was the slides were all visual like there was very little content if even in no content but we spoke very you know like in a way and and the slides just kept going one after another but but people still got what was said cuz you would think that most people like god that was too quick there was I couldn't absorb it, but people did absorb it. And it it, it was amazing when you just said that reinforced what that experience I had uh, last year.
2: Yeah, there's so much bad PowerPoint out there. We've all seen it and we've all done it because so many people don't know a better way. But um, they just put their notes up on the screen and, and call it a slide. And it's that death by bullet point thing. But you know, one image is more captivating. Like you should be the focus of the presentation. If people are squinting to read the small print on your slide, they're not listening to anything that you're saying. So the image, so when people say to me, oh, I missed your presentation, can you just send me the slide deck? It's not going to help them. It's all images with maybe a few keywords on it. Yeah. But, uh, but so many, so you should actually have two separate documents, one with the content if you want to send it to people, but the other one, you don't want to distract people with your slides. You really want them to be focused on your message. So that's I, a, I agree. Yeah.
1: Now, would it be safe to say like, I mean, because when you have more images and then you're speaking, but then you get the you, you get the audience to interact to whatever you're speaking to that. Let's say it is a slide, but there's an mm-hmm. image and they understand what they're seeing in the image. And now you say something Now I find that they're more engaged than if you just had, a, like you said, a bunch of content all over the place. Yeah, you're
2: piquing people's curiosity. Think about this. If you put a magazine ad on a billboard while people are driving 80 miles an hour on the expressway, are they going to be able to get the content, right? So no. your PowerPoint slides should be like a billboard on a highway that people can read while going by at 80 mi- miles an hour. That's because you only have a fraction of a second to capture their attention. So you need to use different mediums for different methods of communication. So that's that's a, a key point. But um, yeah, so... For example, if you say that one example I use is three out of 10 students don't graduate from uh, from high school, that's a statistic, I could put a whole graph up there. But if I show a picture of 10 kids' faces and say, of oh, these 10 kids, three of them won't graduate, it's like, wow, like which of the three? That could be my son or my niece or my you know neighbor, right? The power of the picture and the faces is so much more compelling than putting up some abstract graphic and statistic on a, on a slide. So again, that's how we could use visuals because visuals are emotional, right? How how emotional are numbers, right? Yeah. So that's one of the things that we're talking about today. Is how can I use pictures to speak a thousand words? Great. Well, we gotta we gotta go we gotta go to break here in about a minute. But if you could quickly
1: summarize, Todd, the the um, you know just everything you've shared so far about kind of like the the foundation of visual leadership, and just you know the categories that you covered. If you could briefly you know put that in a thirty second summarization
2: (laughs) sure um again the attention comprehension retention is probably the key message is you want to capture people's attention you want to get them to understand your message and you want them to remember it and if you use visual imagery or visual language it will help to do that more effectively than any other method that i found from my experience
1: wow this is powerful
2: well great we got to go to break but when we come back we got more
1: from todd churches in terms of visual leadership and we'll be right back after the break This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired.
0: You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, Back to Sustainable Success.
1: Well, welcome back. We're here with Todd Churches. We're talking about how leaders can leverage the power of visual thinking. Uh, Todd is sharing a lot of golden nuggets and wisdom. Uh, this is going to be, you know, again, from his uh, book called Visual Leadership with one capital L, a trademark name, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership in Life. You're going to find out a little later how you can get your hands on this powerful book if you are a leader that is really serious about, you know, taking your organization uh, and, and in your personal self to the next level and the power of visual thinking and how it is applied. So, Todd, you know, you had shared a lot of great insight earlier, you know, in the first segment of the show on the foundation, some of the categories. Let's do, see if you could dive in a little bit more into the framework, you know, we're using metaphors, storytelling and those types of things and the importance of that when it comes to visual thinking for leadership.
2: Sure, so again, I break it down to four ways to think and communicate more visually. So again, they are using visual images, pictures and drawing, mental models and frameworks, metaphor and analogy and storytelling with bonus points for humor. So we talked about visual imagery, pictures worth a thousand words. So anytime you, you could use an image, that will help to get your message across or visual language category two, What do we mean by mental models and frameworks? so if you picture a company's organizational chart right that's a visual representation of the reporting structure uh, a map like a subway map of new york city will show you how to get around and not only that but there's color coding there which is also a visual method of if i say take the red line and switch over to the yellow line you know what i'm talking about you'll find that better and that's so subway station um, uh, lines are they have numbers or letters, and there's color coding, and then there's a map, right? So there's different ways of using visuals um, to communicate. In fact, one example I was just telling someone the other day, when my mother was in the hospital and she's okay now, they would ask her, what is your level of pain? And they actually would show her a chart that had from zero to 10, from no pain to a lot of pain. They had um, descriptors, so zero means no pain and 10 means excruciating. But there were also faces attached, like emojis, uh, emoticons, final faces. And they went from yellow, uh, red to yellow to green. So they were using all three methods. They were using words, numbers, and and pictures, including color, to help my mother. So she was, picture you're in the hospital, you're, you're on you know painkillers, and it's hard to communicate, and maybe you're not wearing your glasses. It was very easy to say, oh, am I in the red zone or the yellow zone or the green zone, right? So we don't even realize that these examples, a traffic light, right? That's a communication system, and it's culturally embedded. We know if we see a yellow light slow down, it's going to turn red in a second. So that's – these signals, these, these, these visual cues are around us all the time. Um, in fact, one of the examples I use in my book is my father's corny dad joke when I was growing up. We'd be driving to my grandmother's, and my father would say, Todd, hand me a pencil and a piece of paper, and I'd say, why, Dad? He said, well, the, don't you see the sign? And it said, draw a bridge. So that's one of those dad – everyone's gagging, I know, but you know what? I bet every time you pass a drawbridge sign from now on for the rest of your life, you're going to think of that and you're going to laugh and you'll maybe even use it. Um, So even now, I drive with my wife and she'll say, do you want a pencil? And, you know, she gets it. She's heard it. Yes. yes. (laughs) So but think about that drawbridge. Right. It means something's different than what we're talking about. But drawing is about creating, painting a picture or illustrating something. And bridging is about connection. Bridging is about, just as a bridge connects two sides of land, we're trying to connect with other people. We're trying to gather ideas across to them. So, And if you could do that by illustrating it, you know, paint me a picture. I'll believe it when I see it. All of these expressions are part of our language. So if you use a framework or a map, that's an example of a model or framework, right? And the saying, you know, we need to think outside the box. You can't think, it's become a cliche, I know, but you can't think outside the box unless you have a box and something in it. So a real, and the metaphorical, we'll go to metaphors next. So a metaphor example of this would be, let's say you needed to set a dining room table with eight place settings. You open up the silverware drawer and all the silverware is just thrown in there randomly from last time. How long is it going to take you to put together eight table settings versus you open up the next drawer and all the silverware is in compartments, knives, spoons, forks of different sizes? How much quicker will that be? So if you have a framework in which you can put your ideas, you will see this the solutions much clearer than if you have this messy jumble right so that's what we're trying to do with frameworks we put things into some kind of boxes so that we can see them more clearly and and see solutions metaphors we use all the time right that i'm a big baseball fan i'm not sure if you are both the yankees yes yeah. um but you know we use baseball analogies that idea came out of left field or you really struck out on that presentation or that idea is a grand slam we use metaphors all the time without even realizing it. it's just part of our language But if I'm talking to someone from another culture, you want to use a metaphor that resonates with them. So if I'm talking to someone from Canada, I might use a hockey metaphor. If I'm talking to someone from the UK, I might use a soccer slash football. They call call football over there analogy. So you want to use metaphors and analogies and stories that will resonate with your audience. So that's a key, key thing. So when you use metaphors, it can help you to connect and to clarify or to confuse. So that's something that we often don't think about. We think in terms of what's the picture in our head but if you're trying to get an idea out of your head into someone else's, you have to think about what's going to resonate with them so that they say, OK, I get it now. I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important what you said in, 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 uh, in terms of connecting, because, you know, when you can connect and people feel like they can relate and understand and they feel related to and understood, they're more likely to reciprocate with that communication that's very specific, clear and concise. And that obviously elevates the le- that level of communication and that mm-hmm. engagement. Like exactly.
2: Yeah. And one of the you know, again, which these categories overlap. So one example I just used the other day in my class was, you know, the same. I, I put up a picture from Forrest Gump. And unfortunately, most of my millennial students and younger have never seen the movie and don't know the life is like a what box of chocolates and why? Because you never know what you're going to get. They had no there was no cultural reference there. A lot of my students are either too young or they're from other countries. Yeah. But a lot of international students where that did not resonate with them. So I had to translate that inter-language but when is why is life like a box of chocolates because when you op- take a bite into a chocolate you very often don't know what's inside i said except for one example the whitman sampler you know what's different they have a map of what each of the candies is so it keeps your brother from taking a bite out of each one and putting it back because he didn't like he was looking for the you know the uh the cashew and this one was molasses or something <laughs> so Think about the brilliance of that. Whoever came up with that idea from w- the Whitman sampler box of chocolate, putting a map that shows what each candy is, right? Yeah. So again, we don't even think about that, but think about how that's communicating in a way that uh, otherwise you, you just would be guessing. So that's what we're trying to do is create that Whitman's map of, of what's inside your idea so that people can get it.
1: Well, this leads to a question I wanted to see, you know, if you can shed some more insight on it, Todd. You know, we live in such you know you know the world's going a million miles per hour. You know, people are working remotely, and people's attention spans are like this. You know, and we got so much going on. You know, people don't have time to just have meetings to have meetings. These meetings have to be very clear, specific, concise in a shorter period of time. For what I'm hearing from you, it just popped in my head. I can see like where visual images and metaphors being used in the right way that relates to people can resonate so much quicker that you could get the, whatever has to be discussed, accomplished in a small period of time. Would yeah, that helps be safe you, to
2: say? Yeah, it helps you to be more efficient and more effective. And even though it doesn't always need to be like a picture, for example, if you have an agenda, right, let's say we had an agenda for, for our meeting. If I could picture that agenda in my mind's eye, I could say, all right, start right, first we're going to Talk about what we covered last time, and then we're going to focus on this. And then you always want to leave. I always say to my students, you always want to leave every meeting with who's doing what by when. So you want to walk out with that. If you you define that, otherwise you come back the following week for the follow-up meeting and wait, oh, I thought you were doing that, or was I supposed to do that? If you don't know who's doing what by when, then you just wasted the hour for that meeting. But if you could picture that in your mind's eye... Even after the meeting, you could go back and say, oh, let me picture. Oh, yeah, so-and-so. Yeah, Chris said he was going to do this, and so-and-so said they were going to do that. We use it all the time, but having an agenda will help you give give you a framework. So even though it's not a picture, it could be text, but it gives you a picture of where we're going. So it's like a roadmap, just like Google Maps, right? You could look at the picture, or you could pull up the directions, but even once you look at the directions, even if, you, if you're driving while not even looking at it, you can picture that list in your mind, right? So that's an example of using visual thinking. Even though it's not an image, you, you almost took a mental snapshot of what you wanted to remember. Again, compared to auditory, um, you know, you're just going to remember it more and understand it. And I just want to mention there's two scientific principles at play without going into all the, the yeah, science yeah. behind this. One is called the PSE, Picture Superiority Effect. And that says when pictures and text do battle, pictures always win. That's just the way our brains are wired. So if I show you here's 20 bullet points, real life example I use for my NYU class. Here's the eight books on our syllabus. It's just a bullet point list. Or well, here are the eight book covers. Which one is going to draw your attention? Which one are you going to remember? It's the book covers, right? So that just proves or, or validates that the pictures are superiority to the text. And the other theory is called dual coding theory, dual as in two, is that when you use te- pictures and text in combination, it's more powerful and effective than either one on their own. So this is just too brief. And anyone can just Google those terms and look them up. They're not mine. Um, and, uh, but, but those are some of the science behind how our brains function and why imagery is so powerful.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. And what would you say, like, again, you know, you know, it, we, a lot of people do respond visually. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm, you know, there's people that are, what is it? There's the people that are visual auditory and then there's the kinesiology part of it. Yeah, it's, it's, know, bark. it's,
2: yeah, it's called it's called vark. visual auditory reading and writing and kinesthetic. So visual is yeah. taking the information through your eyes or pictures. Auditory is through your ears, listening and talking, reading and writing is through text and then kinesthetic is about movement touch and feeling right yeah so we all have all four of those within us some people prefer one over the other but sometimes they used to be called learning styles as if you're a visual learner you're an auditory learner but over time they found that we are all have all four so these are different not necessarily styles but they're modalities for communicating information and so in my teaching if i show a slide explain it and tell a story, have my students write things down and get them engaged in some activity of using all four of those styles together. So that's one of the magical um, solutions for people is if you can engage people in all four of those ways. And there's other senses too, there's smell, there's, you know, um, so taste. So if I was doing the Whitman box of chocolate example, but I did that in person and I gave everyone a box of chocolate and they were eating it while I was talking, think about how that would really stick when they left there. Oh, right? yeah. So you leverage the senses and people will get your message much more effectively than than just any one of those in isolation.
1: No, I agree. I, I, I think it's just, you know, in the long run, so much more. It, it, it just creates more effective communication, better, you know, and, and engagement. And then I, it, that just leads, you know, eventually into more productivity, better efficiency. And of course, it impacts your bottom line in a positive
0: way.
2: Yeah. yeah, so many business people, again, think in terms of as a metaphor, Word documents are text, Excel spreadsheets are numbers, and your PowerPoint slides are pictures, right? So when you use all three in combination, it's more effective, but you need to know what's my messaging, who's my audience, and what modality is going to help me get my message across. Some people love the numbers. Some people say, give me an Excel spreadsheet and let me spend 20 minutes just diving into the numbers. Other people say, give me a graph. And then tell me a story about it. And one of the things I say is that numbers are meaningless. And people say, what do you mean? Especially CFOs. What do you mean numbers are meaningless? Then I say, I pause. I say numbers are meaningless without context and without story, right? So if I tell you I have a 250 average, is that good or bad? Well, it depends. If 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 it's my softball batting average, it's not too great. If it's my bowling average, it's very good right? So 250, that number has no meaning outside of the context in which we're using it. That's true. So so one of my examples from my book is called How My Cardiologist Almost Gave Me a Heart Attack. And the long story short of it is I went for my my heart exams, as those of us over 50 have to do, and the cardiologist, uh, this was a different one, not my regular one, came in and said, based on your numbers today, you have a 5% chance of having a heart attack within the next 10 years. I almost fainted right there on the table turned out, and I said to him, wait a minute, doesn't that mean that there's a 95% chance that I won't have a heart attack in the next 10 years? He said, yeah, that's another way of looking at it. Your, Your numbers are totally fine. In fact, they're great, right? So at first he gave me, the numbers he gave me, were they inaccurate? No, but was that the messaging he wanted to get across? Not at all, right? But that's a perfect example of how not putting the numbers in the context or looking at it from the point of view of your yeah. listener can really do the opposite of what you're intending. No, oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, and it wouldn't be safe to say, Todd, that is the problem with communication is because if you just said a 250 average without any contextual mm-hmm. re- attached to it, people would just assume and speculate. And it could either be something that works against you or it could may work for you, But it, but it's a it's like it, it, it's like throwing mud at a wall. We don't know what they're going to think. Yeah.
2: Like if they put out the empl- you know, employment, you know, employment numbers have gone up, uh, you know, 20,000 jobs over the past month. Is that good? Is that bad? Is that within a city? Is that nationally? It's like you don't know, you know, you don't know what that means. Right. So what you want to you always want. In fact, there's a great book out right now by one of the Heath brothers called make, I think it's called Making Numbers Counts. Um, And he talks about how, you know, if you don't say here's the number and here's what that number means, then that number is just hanging out there. And some people may get it, but a lot of people may not. And they couldn't misinterpret it. So we always want to. That's one of the downfalls of business people. We often use numbers without the story around it and telling people, is that good, bad? And what's the meaning behind it? Yeah, wow. And then we also bore people to death with statistics. We've all seen those numbers that, you know, our rate of this went up 22% over the last 6 months. And people you see the heads nodding as opposed to Yeah, they to, do. Not. I mean, yeah. unless
1: you're unless you're like a, an engineer or project manager, which they like evidence and trends and yeah. stuff. However, just what you said, if there is nothing to tie those numbers to something that's going to lead to them you know, seeing where there's a solution or a way to solve a problem or see an opportunity, then they're just numbers, like you said. I
2: I always say, what's the so what, so that, right? Whenever you have a number, if you always think about that, what's the so what of the number and what's the so that? What do we do with this information, right? I think that's one of the key things. So if you're just giving people statistics and numbers, that's fine. But what do you, what does it mean? And what is your message? What do you want us to do with that numbers? And I think that's, you know, Hopefully, there's a lot of takeaways here, but that's a big one for business professionals. If you're pitching to a client, if you're communicating to your if you're a manager or you're doing a town hall and you're a CEO, tell us the story behind the numbers. What does it mean? Is it good, bad? And what do we do with it? What you know, what's the we always say, what do you want people to think, feel, know and most importantly, do at the end of your messaging? And that's especially important when you're communicating numbers.
1: Well, I I agree. And I think, like you said, if you use a combination of visuals while telling a backstory and then using the numbers to kind of substantiate, depending upon what kind of audience resonates with that. And then what, you know, what are some of the things that can result in that? And then again, something visual, it can be something even like you said, like a metaphoric, it could be, doesn't have to be, but something that you say, oh, I get it. That makes sense.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Think think about your company vision statement and mission statement, right? Your vision is where you see yourself going and your mission is here's our purpose for existing, right? So if you don't have a, Compelling vision and mission, and if you're not living your company's core values, you know everyone, all these companies have you know generic values, you know excellence, quality, you know all of these things, customer service. Are you know, are you bringing that to life? What does that look like in reality? Yeah. So if you want your employees to live those values, you have to illustrate what they mean and what they look like, so they know whether or not they're actually doing it.
1: Wow, powerful, Todd. If you we got about a less than a minute to the break, if you could just briefly, 30 seconds, summarize. Some of these key points that you talked about, because it was really powerful and so many golden nuggets
0: you shared.
2: Sure. I, again, I think the one, I love the metaphor of, as I mentioned, Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, and PowerPoint slides. So, not only in terms of using the documents themselves, but metaphorically, the combination of words, numbers, and pictures will help you get your ideas across, but also use the methodology or the medium or the tools that will help you to do that most effectively. But it's not either or. When used in combination, that's where you're most effective and most powerful because then you're using multiple senses yeah. simultaneously. Oh, well, wow. this is such great stuff. Again, we're here with Chad Churches. We're
1: talking about, again, how leaders can leverage the power of visual thinking we got more to come, so we got to go to break. When we come back, we're going to be diving a little bit more into Todd's book, Visual Leadership. And again, you can listen to this show in its entirety here later today on Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll be right back after the break.
0: What is balance? Again, that's 1-866-472-5795, or send an email to Chris at Christophersalem.com. Now, back to sustainable success.
1: Well, welcome back. We are here with Todd Churches. We're talking about how leaders can leverage the power of visual thinking. Again, this is from his book, Visual Leadership, which uh, we're gonna, you know, get you're gonna learn where you can get your hands on this book. And if you're just joining us, you can listen to this show in its entirety here later today or anytime on demand here at the Voice American Influencers Channel, also at Apple Podcast and, and our, our Facebook page at Sustainable Success 2017. We'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, you're going to also have an opportunity to reach out and, and get, get in contact with Todd. And you could also reach out to us if you'd like to send a question. We'll make sure that Todd also receives that information. So, Todd, you had shared a lot of great insight in in the first two segments of the show. I would love to see if you can maybe share some examples uh, of, you know, things that are related to, you know, models, metaphors, stories that can really just really bring everything together. What you shared here today.
2: Sure. One of the things I was just thinking about is the fact that this is a radio show. So, if you're listening to a radio show or an audio podcast people are picturing this in their minds, that people are pictures. some people know what we look like, but other people don't, right? They may look us on up on LinkedIn or our websites. But again, we're always picturing things. What's a, this is a funny example. A lot of times we'll be driving in the car and listening to, say, the Yankee game and, and someone will make a diving catch. And I'll say to my wife, did you see that? Did you see that catch? And she's like, what do you mean, did I see it? We're listening on the radio. But if you watch enough baseball, you could picture the players, the positioning, right? So you're almost watching the game in your head. Even though you're listening to the game on the radio, so that's a great example of using visual thinking in everyday life. So one of the things you mentioned earlier, this is not just for business. This is for school, for work, for life. This is really in any aspect of your life, right? So, yeah. um, so just a few examples. Like so, for my models, um, I, I in each section I have a few number of different examples. A model is a could be a template, a framework. So it could be a storyboard. It could be a mind map. Um, So let's picture a four-box. This is what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to to draw you a a model only with words, right? So I have no pen in hand. So picture a four-box matrix, right? We've all seen them. We all use those in the consulting business. Picture a four-box matrix. and I call it my passion skill matrix. Along the left side is passion. And it goes from zero to five to 10, from I hate it to I love it. Along the bottom is skill, and it goes from zero to five to 10, from I'm terrible at it to I'm amazing at it, right? So, in the upper right quadrant is your sweet spot. If you do things that you're great at and you love, that's where you shine, that's where you flow, that's where time flies by, right? That's where I always say, What do you want to be known as the guru of or the go to person for? That's the stuff that's in your sweet spot. The upper left box is your growth zone, those are things that you're, you, enjoy doing or you love you have a passion for or interest in but you may not you may not be good at it yet and the word yet is so powerful because it open up opens up the world of potential right and if there's something that you want to be better at you're more likely to invest time and energy into getting better so that's your growth zone the lower right corner is you're good at it but you don't love it or maybe you used to like it but now you don't anymore for a variety of reasons that's, that's your default zone so for example um, I happen to be a pretty good writer. So a lot of times in my companies, people would say, Todd, can you proofread this for me? Todd, can you edit this for me? Just because I was good at it didn't mean I wanted to spend all my day editing and proofreading everyone's stuff, right? So think about what other people know you for, but maybe you just don't love it, even though you're skilled at it. And the lower left quadrant is your failure zone. Those are things that you're not good at, it, you're, 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 you don't like or love to do, you don't have any interest in, in, or you've tried to get out of that box and you can't. That's your failure zone. So that's the four-box matrix. So if you've pictured that in your mind's eye, think about what percentage of your time do you spend in each box because ideally people are most engaged and happiest in their work when they're above the line, when they spend at least 80% of their time in their sweet spot or their growth zone, right? So if something's in your default zone, how could you maybe delegate that to someone else and train someone else to do it? Um, Or your failure zone, can you learn to get better at it? Sometimes we're not good at something and we don't like it, But if we get better, we like it more. And as you like it more, you try more. And all of a sudden, your failure zone turns into a growth zone, which eventually becomes a sweet spot. And for me, public speaking is an example of that. For years and years and years, throughout most of my life, I was terrified of it and terrible at it. And now I'm a TEDx speaker and I teach at NYU in Columbia. So I had to inch my way up from the failure zone to the growth zone. And it took me probably 15 years to make public speaking a sweet spot, but I was able to do it through work and feedback and coaching and failure, right? So we all have that. Think about anything you're good at today. You probably weren't that great at it when you first started out, right? So as a coach, as a manager, as a leader, find out what your people's sweet spots and growth zones are, help them to get there. Find out what people's failure zones are, help them to get out of that box. Because if you've ever had a job where you spend most of your time in your failure zone or default zone, you probably weren't very happy, and that's not That's what leads to burnout and stress and people quitting. So, so right there, that's a mental model or framework. I just explained it in words. So hopefully, everyone visualized it. And then, if you use this model, you could think about, all right, how could I become more engaged, more happy, and more productive in my work by spending more time in the top two boxes? So, what what are your thoughts there, Chris?
1: I thought it was great. Yeah, and it it's so true. And I think, like you said, if you're if you're able to, you know, explain those things using you know, visual images. You know, metaphors like where you could visually see it. You know, not everybody might not understand it. Maybe somebody's from another country and they might not know what that. You know, you're not going to be able to cater to everyone. But for the most part, like you said, it's like the, you know, like a stop. You know, like a a a stoplight, right? You know, you got red, yellow, green. Pretty much everybody in the world is going to know what that is. Right, you know, right. regardless of what country you're from or what language you speak. But it is so powerful and and, and so true how you can you, when you can use that combination, it could just really you save so much more time and you really elevate that communication to a whole new
2: level. Exactly. It just it's helps so, you so frame true. things in a way that you can again clearly identify problems and then find and see solutions that maybe you might otherwise have seen. Yeah. So if you want to talk about metaphors, so just a few of them that are in my book. One is, you know, what's the elephant in the room? We use that expression all the time. So there's not a physical elephant unless you're in a circus or a zoo, right? So the elephant is what's that big, gigantic thing that everyone's pretending isn't there but is, and we need to talk about it, right? So that's one example. Um, My concept of black sock decision-making, the short version, and this combines with storytelling as well, black sock decision-making, what does that mean? What would you guess it means if you haven't read that chapter yet, if you have a guess? Um, I you got now I'm like blanking out right now. All right. See, um, I put you on the spot. That's totally fine. So long story short, when I used to travel on business, I used to spend a half hour just picking out socks to match my ties and match my suits. When I switched to black socks, it saved me all this time of not only packing, but just decision making. So the metaphor of black sock decision making are what are some of the decisions that you need to make every day that take up your time and drain your energy that if you just Oh. simplified it and just came up with one. Like if you had 20 different toothpaste to choose from crest or Colgate or this, or that, you know, it would take you forever. If you have one tooth, t- tube of toothpaste, you just brush your teeth and you don't even think about it. So that's the idea behind black sock decision-making. What are some areas of your business where you have added complexity that you're reflecting on yourself by having too many choices. And if you can just eliminate things, simplifying it, simplifying yeah. your life. Right. So that's what that's about. So, um, But again, you're not going to forget, you know, so I tell the story about how I went to Macy's and I just bought 18 pairs of black socks. And you know what? None of my clients complain, no one cared. So that was just one less thing I needed to think about. And one of the other examples I mentioned is the little pink spoon. Um, When you go to Baskin Robbins and you try and they give you a little pink spoon to taste different flavors. I always say to to people, my coaching clients, what's your little pink spoon? How can you give people a taste or a sample of what it is that you do that they want to come back and buy the cone or buy the gallon and you get a regular customer, right? But sometimes you have to give stuff away. Think about how many millions of dollars in little pink spoon samples that ice cream stores have given away over the years in the hope of you're finding one that they like. So what's the equivalent of that in your business? So all of these are, uh, if you notice, I use different colors. So black socks, pink spoons, uh, one other yellow ball leadership. When I was growing up, I had a yellow ball, a red ball, and a blue ball. And i throw it to my dog and say, go bring back the yellow ball. And my dog would bring back the yellow ball. And people would be like, oh, she's so smart. You trained her so well. You know what? She always brought back the yellow ball. I have no idea why. It was the smell. the te- I have no idea why. But she always brought back the yellow ball. So what is the yellow ball for your people? What is that ball or that project or that task? If you threw it, your, your employees are going to run after it and say, I want to do that. That's the one I want. That's right. So that's where... The the management guru, Frederick Taylor, said that people do best what they like best to do. So if you could find out what your people like best to do and what they're best at, and this relates to the passion skill matrix as well, they are more likely to be engaged and more likely to put their heart and soul into it and to be effective. So that's yellow ball leadership is find the yellow ball for each of your people. So right there, just three colors, black socks, pink spoon, and yellow ball, I gave you three metaphorical leadership lessons that you could take with you.
1: I love it. Love it. And and I think you know what you what you've done here, Todd, is planted a seed for people now to really say, "Hey, how can I use these in my own situation? Work, use it in my home as a parent, use it helping my kids when they're doing homework, you know, uh, in my community, you know, in my role at my job, or if I run the company, whatever the case may be." I think these are powerful things that people can now. They, they logically, you know, they when they hear it, like, yeah, I get that. But yeah. now like you're like, oh, but I, I didn't really was not applying that in a way that I could be even more effective.
2: Exactly. And I'm not sure if you did this intentionally, but you just said I planted the seed. So that's a metaphor, right? So just yeah. pick, picture a tree in your mind, right? You could plant the seed for an idea. You could go out on a limb. You could get to the root of the problem. You could see which ideas bear fruit. And if you keep growing that tree, the sky is the limit. So right yeah. there, I used five tree-related nature analogies that were triggered by your saying you just planted the seed. So think about how often we use metaphors without even realizing it. And if you do it more intentionally and with more purpose, you could be even more effective.
1: Wow, uh, this is just great stuff that you've been sharing. Well, Todd, you know we're going to be we're getting towards the end of the show. We got about two and a half minutes till the, our show end. I want to be able to you know get make sure people can know where they can get their hands on this book. If there's anything else that goes along with the book that you'd like to share or offer, I just want to make sure you had this opportunity. And also after that, share with how people can directly get in contact with you the best way. Sure. Thank you, Chris.
2: Um, so first of all, my book is available wherever books are sold, so Amazon or anywhere else. And it's again, Visual Leadership, one word with one shared capital L. Um, if you go to my website, which is, I have two websites. One is my company business called bigbluegumball.com, but my brand new and um, targeted website is toddchurches.com and it's C-H-E-R-C-H-E-S. And one thing I wasn't planning on doing, but I will, because I mentioned the passion skill matrix a couple of times. If people go to toddchurches.com passion you can download for free the Passion Skill Matrix chapter from my book. So that's something I usually only offer to people who take my my visual leadership workshops. But because we talked about it, I'll throw that in. Also, when you go to my website, you can also download the PDF of my top 52 uh, leadership books that most visually impacted my thinking. So those are two giveaways that if you go to my website, you could download those. Uh, for free. Well, I think
1: that's great. And I think those are great offers because there is just, like you said, there's a lot of great content out there. And sometimes we just are not, we're not aware of it and we overlook it. And um, again, we encourage everybody that's listening or be listening later to definitely take up uh, Todd on this offer and reach out to uh, the visual leadership and get your hands on that book. Todd, is there any ways else they can get in contact with you? Social media?
2: Sure. EI, yeah. I, I live on, thing? you know, I live on LinkedIn. So just say I saw you on Chris Allen's show, link in with me and, uh, and then now we can follow each other and connect. And uh, I'm always posting. Not only do I post my original stuff, but also as a curator, anytime I see something related to visual thinking and working in today's post-pandemic you know, hybrid workforce, any of those things. So definitely, yeah, just connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll continue the conversation there.
1: Awesome. Well, Todd, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule today to be here with us at Sustainable Success. We are so grateful to have you and sharing your words of wisdom on the power of visual thinking for in leadership. In this case, your trademark name, Visual Leadership with the capital L. Again, we encourage everybody to get their hands on the book, reach out to Todd. And again, we want to thank you listeners each and every week joining us here the Sustainable Success Way. This show is dedicated to bringing in guests and experts like Todd that are not only sharing theory, they're not sharing theory, they're th- sharing their personal experience. They're sharing things that Not only they've experienced, but what they've seen and applied. That's what what Sustainable Success does. We apply knowledge. So again, we uh, thank you for being here since our inception and those that have joined us anywhere in between. We will continue to do that. Your comments and feedback help us to deliver higher quality and bring in guests and content that will relate to what is most important to you. Till then, we want to wish everybody a great rest of your week. And we'll be back next Thursday with another guest, another topic to help move your business and personal success to the next level. Take care.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week.